we just ask you these same words as we've sung that you'd give us, Jesus, that uh, we'd have his heart, that we'd have his desires, that we'd follow his example, that uh, we would take up our cross daily and follow after him. Lord, just guide our time now this morning as we read from your word, that you'll give us understanding, that you will illumine our hearts and our minds, that our actions can follow, that we will be uh, people of the word, that we will be your children, and uh, it will be visible and uh, known by those outside of our company today. Lord, just uh, again, thank you for your words that you've preserved over these thousands of years for us, for our training, for the generations that have come before and the generations that will come after. Help us to be a beacon in that generational stretch of light for you, that we will be consistently adhering to your word. Guide our time now this morning as we look at it. In Jesus' name, amen. See if I'm on. Hey, I am. Well, this morning. Oh yeah, the kids can go. That's right. I haven't I haven't been up here long enough. Any kids that are young enough to go, fourth grade and under, I think third grade and under can head out. So, thanks, Roth. We weren't getting geared up yet. We're going to look at Psalm 19. Psalm 19. So if you want to get your Bibles ready as the kids are going out and noise is still happening, Psalm 19, verse 14. Many times I, I like to do a, a whole section to give a little more context or because I, I don't feel like doing something that's topical at all. And hopefully this isn't uh, specifically topical. I talked about Psalm 19. Oh, man, it was in 2011 or 2013. I'm not sure what the date was on it. But I talked about the earlier verses in this section and not specifically about Psalm 19:14. So let's turn here and uh, we'll look at that in just a minute. In this past year... You've probably heard a lot of words. There's been an election going on, and everybody's words went under the microscope. You'd see words posted here. You have memes on Facebook. So-and-so said this, and they have a silly picture. And uh, words, everybody knows what everybody else said, and you know it well. You, you, know, you hear things being repeated by other people. I'm going to even maybe repeat some this, this morning. I'm tired of all the talk about Hillary's emails. We might have heard that on the news over and over again. You could put half of Trump's supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. That was maybe not so much wanted to be quoted, but it was. Someone else said, I could shoot people and still wouldn't lose voters. I don't know if that was a great thing to be said by that individual as well, but uh, every single one of these words has gone over with a fine-tooth comb. Some of them may be uh, outright wrong or blatantly not helpful to the person, or even in our mind, we could say sinful. But uh, mostly, our broadcast media, social media, they're just looking at what they can pick apart in the words of an individual. Everybody was based on by their words. The judgment that you make is based on by their words. And uh, social media, no different. They're full of all these different things. There's definitely a concern in the world with what's being said, with how words are being used. And what about fake news? There's a lot of words going on there that were completely illegitimate, completely unnecessary. And uh, the guy who wrote up most of it, uh, Mr. Horner was his name, he claims that he's the one who swayed the election as a result of his fake news and uh, making up all sorts of different things. They did a poll on that, and actually 75% of people, when comparing headlines between fake news and real news, you know, believed that the fake news was completely real and reliable as well. But how was your response? Speaking of other words, we think of those words that are out there, but let's come a little closer. How about your response? You had comments. I've seen plenty of comments on Facebook. You know, there's Instagram. Someone's doing a little Snapchat thing. But uh, Twitter, Twitter's a big thing where words are going on. 
even conversations among people, we see all of this happening, especially along the, along the election and the campaign routes. And some of those words were, were helpful and beneficial. Some of those words, maybe not so much. You can probably think of those that might not have been helpful. Here in Psalm 19.14, we're going to look at this. Words, a sacrifice of words. Let's look and read this together. It's just a, a short, short verse. Maybe I should turn there as well. That would help, be helpful. Luke 19, or uh, John, Psalm 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You know, growing up in the reserve culture of 20th century Great Britain, C.S. Lewis found that the Psalms opened up a whole new, new way of looking at the Bible and a whole new way of approaching God. He said concerning Psalm 19, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. Creation, God's word, and the life of prayer speak in harmony to convey the profound message of God's glory to those who have ears to hear. Hopefully this morning we'll have ears to hear as we look at this. This scripture is a powerful scripture. You know, this prayer, this request, it's something that can change the way we reach each other's lives around us. It changes the way we live ourselves. We think about how it can change the people's lives around us. Back in the 60s, a, uh, a man said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, but then they walk out the door and they get on with their lifestyle. That's what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. This verse is just the opposite of that. It's a desire to have our words and our thoughts and everything follow what God has done. It said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. I know that quote because I listened to DC Talk in the 90s. That's who did it, but it's from the 60s, actually. David, the author of this psalm here, Psalm 19, he says a couple of things here in these words. Let the words of my mouth, meditations of my heart, let what comes out of me and what goes into me be acceptable. Let both what I think and what I say be acceptable to God. If we were to live by this one verse, what changes would there be? Maybe changes in the way we talk, changes what we think about, changes what we meditate on. You know, all through the Psalms and even the rest of the Bible, we hear about meditation. We've been talking with the high school group about Psalm 119, and that is probably the most full chapter of the Bible about meditation, meditating on God's word. It, uh, with these words and with this meditation, it's just overflowing that it's coming from God and what he's doing in our lives. There's really a continual redirection to pure speech, not uh, the speech that we may have heard in some of the rhetoric. Remember James that we just read here at the beginning of the service. You know, he said, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. It says, My brothers, these things ought not to be so. So my question as we look at this verse, as I hear this prayer of David, it keeps my mind going back over and over to that, this one question. Are my words, are my meditations acceptable in the sight of God? You know, are the words of your mouth and the meditation of your heart, are they acceptable in the sight of God? This is really the greatest measure of your life in the family of God. How are your words and how are your thoughts? So we're going to look at this one verse, just a piece at a time. 
you could look over it and uh, if you could read it at face value and do really well. I mean, it seems simple enough. We see these few words here. But hopefully by the end of the sermon, not only will we have learned something, but we'll also have this prayer memorized and ready to put into action as we go about our lives. Let the words of my mouth. As I've gotten older, I've realized that I have to pay attention to my words. I mean, we hope for our kids to pay attention to that, but sometimes that doesn't pan out. And then we, at the same time, follow suit, and it doesn't pan out. But we have to pay attention to our words. We understand that our words can do a few things. Here, as we look at scripture for what our words can do, we'll see a couple of different items that words are involved with. We can think off the top of our head. We know the definition of a word, you know, something that we're saying. We know ideas about words, and we could probably put into practice this whole verse. But let's look to what God has said about our words and how they interact with our lives. Probably the first thing that our words are going to do is identify our heart. They identify what is in us. Turn to Matthew 12, verse 34. We're going to be here for just a little bit. Matthew 12, verse 34 David knows exactly that his words identify his heart. He's the author of this psalm, and he recognized that as soon as he said the things. He, um, he was with Bathsheba, and then immediately he sent word to Joab to, get, to have Uriah come back. Then he sent word to Joab to put Uriah in the front lines. He sent word to Joab to kill the man who was married to this woman he was having an adulterous affair with. His words mattered. Soon after that, Nathan, the... Uh, the prophet talks to him and said, because of this, blood will always be on your house. You will be, and he lost a lot of privileges as a result without being able to build the temple. His words had some consequences, but they identified his heart. They weren't right. His heart was not right with God at the time. Here in Matthew, Jesus brings up this idea of how our heart is tied in with our words. Matthew 12, verses 34 says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What do your words reveal? When there's complaining and grumbling, it identifies your heart. You know, if there's persistent pessimism or negativism about everything that's going on, this negativism, it's rooted in your heart. You know, you, you may be thinking of all you, people you know that fit into these categories, not including yourself. But here, as always, God's word is calling you to examine your own heart. He says, let the meditation of my heart, let the words of my mouth, he's talking about here. It's your own words we need to look at because your words become an identifier of your heart. You know, when you're an unforgiving, you have an unforgiving heart. When you're a judgmental, you have a judgmental heart. Your words clearly identify your heart. Jesus knew that. He tells it to the Pharisees here in Matthew. He knows that uh, their hearts were impure as a result of the words that came out of them. He says in the verse, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The things that are inside of you, they, they come out. Sometimes we feel like we can hold them in, but they come out. Pastor, I try not to say bad words or tell dirty jokes, but they just come out. So why is that? Why would that be? As a result of this verse, you'd think, maybe because that's what's in your heart. Those are the things that are being put into your heart. They might not be something you're consistently dwelling on, but you're consistent enough that it's coming out in your thoughts and in your mouth, in your speech. You've allowed them to take root in your life. You've listened to those words. You've placed them in the heart, and there they are. They come out on your lips. I've got to find the root in my heart. I'll never fix my mouth until I figure out what's going on in my heart. I have to 
realize that I want my words to be acceptable to God, and it begins with the heart. Not only do our words identify our hearts, our words also judge us. Not too much farther here in Matthew 12, just two verses down, go to verse 36. It says, I will tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. This is being spoken to Pharisees who had lots to be condemned for, but it goes for any of us. We all have a lot of words to be condemned for and a lot to be justified by. As we think of those things, we don't normally like anything that judges us, but Jesus says it's our own words that judge us, our own words that we're justified and that we're condemned. You know, the words that we say judge our lives. They are identifying our heart and they are bringing judgment on our life. They're bringing judgment on our eternity there, as it said in verse 36. And I will tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. That's looking forward to eternity when it's a time of judgment and our words are going to be gone over with a fine-tooth comb, much, much more fine-tooth than the broadcast media or Facebook or anything like that. Words cannot be something that we just flippantly say. You know, they have to be something we pay attention to. Every day I learn this. Hopefully every day we learn this, and at some point we'll get to the point where it's less and less, where we have to be relearning that lesson about how our mouth speaks. I know, and you know, that our words do a lot. We use them too much sometimes. You know, we might use them to attack. We use them to tear down. We use them to build doubt in somebody. You know, we even use words to manipulate, to shift blame. If I can put someone else down, then I feel better about myself. I feel a little more elevated on the pecking order of life. Instead of being here, I'm now here. I don't know if you can notice the difference. I'm, I'm here instead of here. There's no, there's no difference. But in our own mind, we feel like we're way up here above everyone as a result of some of our words that we say. We use our own words to divide. We use our words to do things that are not conducive to living the life of Christ. When we use our words, Jesus is here to tell us that we'll give an account for our words I can tell you, I don't look forward to giving an account for some of the words that I've said. You may have had to give an account for some of the words you've said. Someone comes to you and says, did you say, did you really say that? And I had someone come to me a couple of years ago with that question. I was pretty nervous. I was concerned that I'd really, really messed up, put my foot in my mouth, and I put God in a bad light. Well, on this occasion, it turned out that it was a great opportunity to build up, to encourage, to sharpen one another through confrontation, confession, and caring. It was a use of words that was in light and in an acceptable way of God as uh, it all came about. And this may not always be the case. I use this to make myself look good, but uh, it's not always this way. <laughs> so I was, I was already in a place that I had to give an account for my words, and that's here on earth. Just wait till eternity, and it's uh, a little bit more serious at that point. I had to explain why I said this and why I said that. Your words judge you. But through that conversation, we're able to clarify. Sometimes our words are heard incorrectly, or they're, they're heard just what we said, but it's processed differently than what you had ever imagined it would be. And so working to explain, working to, to talk about those things, but with humility, recognizing, yes, I did say that. Yes, it was in this context. And uh, if necessary, repent of those things and turn from those words you know, a local pastor talked about Matthew 12:36 here. On every careless or idle or worthless word, 
said, you know, the most seemingly insignificant sin, even a slip of the tongue, carries the full potential of all hell's evil. No infraction against God's holiness is therefore a trifling thing, and each person will ultimately give account of every such indiscretion. There is no truer indication of a bad tree than the bad fruit of speech. Every person is judged by his words because they reveal the state of his heart. We can just stop it there, but that's kind of on the downside of this whole words thing. There's actually good news with our words. Our words not only identify our hearts, they not only judge us, but with our words, we can confess salvation. God has allowed us to confess the Savior. A confession is not just saying I did wrong or right, but it's a public declaration of commitment to Christ and of faith in Him. Our words can do that as well. We can praise God and uh, honor Him. It's not just a simple acknowledgement that God is the Lord of the universe. Even the demons do that and shudder. But it's a deep personal conviction with our words, without reservation, that Jesus is the person who is our master or our Lord. You know, that idea of a public declaration, the confession of our sin, is all about what God has done, repenting from sin, trusting in Christ for salvation, and submitting to him as Lord. It says we are in agreement with what God has said, what he said in his word. So as we use our words, we can use it to confess the Savior. Let's turn to Romans 8, 10, actually Romans 10, 8 through 10. It's on page 947 of my Bible, if that helps you. Romans 10, 8 through 10. This is looking at our words, confessing. It says in verse 8, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that Jesus raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Our mouth is not only for evil. It's not only for tearing down. It can be used for great things. God has given us a tongue to be used for confessing him, for proclaiming him and who he is to the world around us. The same mouth that can get us in trouble, the same mouth that can judge us, is the same mouth that we can use to proclaim that Jesus is the Lord of our life. You know, God raised him from the dead, as it says here. The mouth of confession is made into salvation. You know, as we think about our resolutions or our purposes for this new year, it's time to start paying attention to the words that we use, the words that come out of our mouth. You know, are we giving words of praise? Are we giving words of direction? Are we giving words of following Christ? Or are we giving words that require repentance? You know, the psalmist here, in wanting a pure life, he understands that his words have to be one of the first things to change. Let the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let the words of my mouth be acceptable. How in the world are we supposed to do or say the right thing? How do we use the right words? Every day we seem to have fumble over them. How do we know what words lead to trouble and which words are giving us life? Well, that's the second part of what the psalmist says here. It says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Words and meditation are together. We've already talked about the words of my mouth, but the words and meditation of my heart, they have to be addressed together as a psalmist does. We've come to understand that our meditation directs our words. That's what we'll, we'll see here as he talks about this. So what do we meditate on? What does it even mean to meditate? 
Let's begin with the definition of that. If you were to go ask anybody down the street, you'd get lots of different definitions of what meditation is. Outside of the church, meditation has lots of influences from Eastern Orthodoxy, Eastern religions that uh, talk about emptying our mind, getting rid of everything, becoming one with yourself, one with the surroundings. And uh, it is complete removal of what's in your mind. Here, this meditation means to think about, to ponder. It's a filling of your mind with what is good, with what is right. You know, as I mentioned earlier, a look at the Psalms, you know, it calls for a deliberate, close, and even a continuous meditation on God's word. It, thinking about letting things flow in your mind, God's word, his scripture, it takes place in the heart, the seat of our emotional and rational life. And therefore, the psalmist prays that the meditation of his heart will be acceptable in God's sight. He wants his inner thoughts to approach the standard that God approves. He wants his inner thoughts to approach the standard that God approves, to be acceptable in God's sight. Whoa, that's a pretty high standard, pretty high standard. What do we meditate on to reach that? If we want to transform our words, we have to meditate on the right things. So what do we meditate on? Well, Psalm 119, as I mentioned, the high schoolers have been going through that in Sunday school. I have just a few excerpts. says, I will meditate on your precepts. I'll meditate on your wondrous works. Oh, how I love your not law. I will meditate on it day and night. Your testimonies are my meditation. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. The psalmist recognizes that it's God's word, what God has done, that needs to be meditated on. And for David, the law was the content of his meditation. He had a small fraction of what we have now to meditate on and guide his life. And yet his words are so profound. His thoughts are so full of God and what God has been doing. So as we think about this, as New Testament believers, we have a risen Christ. We have more than just the law. We have this whole scripture that we can meditate on that can direct our thoughts. Let's think about meditating on what Jesus did. As believers, we're supposed to be Christ-like, Christ followers. Turn a couple more pages in your Bible to Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Just another look at our meditation. What should we be thinking about? Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Here it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not accept equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father." If we have a mind of Christ, our mind is going to be much different than the world around us. If you want to control your words, if you want to make sure that you're meditating on the right things, have this mind among yourselves. Think the way Jesus thought. It's about giving honor and glory to God. That was the end of what he did. It is about obedience as he followed Christ and God in obedience that he had. It's about doing what God asks us to do, as you see in just these few verses. When we meditate on obedience, when we meditate on his word, when we meditate on following the will of God, we're really meditating on the right things. We have to think like Jesus thought. Do you remember what Jesus said in Luke? He said, it's not my will, your will. 
not what I want, but what you want. You know, there are times when Jesus had to go away to meditate, to be with his father, to, to talk with him, to think on those things. And as he's in the garden, just before his arrest and the crucifixion, that's when he said these things. That's where he prayed this famous prayer, nevertheless, not my will, but your will. Jesus' thoughts, his mind was set on what the father wanted. He wanted to do God's will. When we start thinking like Christ, we stop telling God what to do. We stop telling God what we want him to do. And instead, we ask God, whatever you want to do, you direct this step, you direct this path. You lead me where I need to go, just as Christ did. Nevertheless, not your will, but my will. Nope, other direction. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. If we're going to change the way we think, we need to meditate on what Jesus did. Also, as we look through as New Testament believers, we're not only meditating on what Jesus did, we're meditating on what he taught and what was taught from him to others around. 1 Timothy 4, 16 Let's turn over there. That's just uh, probably six pages or so. 1 Timothy 4, 14 through 16. I'm using this just to expand on these words that the psalmist said as we think about words and meditation. There's so much here in Scripture, and we have so little time. But meditate on what you've been taught. That's what Paul tells Timothy as he's giving him directions as he continues to lead the church. 1 Timothy 4, verse 14. Do not neglect the gift you have, which has been given you by prophecy, and when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. That word practice there, meditate. Meditate on these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teachings. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Paul's commendation to Timothy was simple. Don't forget what's happened to you when we laid our hands on you as elders. And then meditate on what we've taught you. Go over it again and again. Think about what was shown you. Meditate what has been brought into your mind. Be careful to do these things. Stay true to your teaching. That's what shows progress to others. You've got to think about these things. As we think about and talk about scripture, we've got to think about it again. Roll it over in our mind another time. Digest it. Think what God's word is saying. Meditate on the word of God and what you have learned about it and about him. Joshua 1.8, even Joshua knew this. He said, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. These men as who have come before us, they've had so little, it might seem, in way of revelation of God. We have the whole of scripture from the beginning to the end, as we see Revelation, we've seen the Redeemer who has come, the salvation that uh, is offered, and uh, we still struggle. These men, as we read their words, they want to commit their whole lives to meditating on the Word of God, so they may be careful to do according to what is written in it. I have to give completely to these things that I've been taught, to the doctrine, so that I can stand strong. If I didn't give myself completely to them, I wouldn't be able to stand here in front of you today. If I don't understand the doctrines of the Bible, if I don't understand what Jesus taught, then there's no way my words can justify what God and his Holy Spirit have put into my life. I've got to meditate on these things. I've got to think about these things. And it takes work. Here it says, persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and the hearers. Persist in this. We've got to get a hold of the truth of God's word. We've got to meditate on it. It's that grabbing hold of sound teaching that has saved me, that has taught us, and then Show it to others where they need it in turn. Our words become powerful when we meditate in God's word. 
And when they're mostly influenced by God's word instead of the other words that are not so acceptable around us. God's word gives us life. It gives us a direction. His word shows us the things that we need to do, that we need to weed out in our lives, the things that we need to say. That's why we meditate on what we've been taught, so our words can reflect what God has done. The last thing here is meditating on God's will. We saw that Jesus said that, not my will, but yours be done. Meditating on God's will. The righteous, when they encounter the plots of the wicked, maintain a pure mind by meditating on God's law. Another quotation from Psalm 119, meditating on God's law. Quit thinking about what we want. You think about what he wants. Quit thinking about what we like and start thinking about what God likes. Quit thinking about what we think and start thinking about what he thinks. Romans 12, 2, we were just there a bit ago. You don't have to turn there. It says, present yourselves as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed in the renewal of your mind. There we have that whole idea of mind and thinking and meditation. By testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How do we find the will of God? We've been talking about it in Sunday school, discerning the will of God. A bunch of the adults probably are at a much better place in that than they were hopefully at the beginning of the semester. But discerning the will of God. Verse 2 says, we're not to be conformed to the way of thinking of this world. You know, we quit trying to fit in. We quit trying to be like everybody else. We quit trying to do all these things that give us a pat on the back. It's no longer about recognition or the things that the world's looking for. We have to be not conformed to the world. Instead, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. And we renew our minds and we change the way we talk by doing these things. We change the things we, the way we think about. When you do those things, then you can discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. When we are not being conformed to what's around us, but being transformed by his word. When we follow his perfect will, then it will become the mind and the mouth that he's called us to be. I want us to understand that the power of our meditation and the power of our words, when we follow his perfect will, we become the mind and the mouth that he's called us to be. The scripture that the psalmist says, he, he writes, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In the Hebrew, it actually starts with this. This is the whole idea. Let them be, let them be acceptable. That's the whole thrust of the verse. What are to be acceptable? My words and my meditation. Let them be acceptable in your light. Who, who's he asking this of? Who is the psalmist asking for his words to be acceptable to? Is it those around him? Is it his, his royal court? Is it the people that come, come around day by day and ask questions, look for his wisdom? No, he wants his words to be acceptable in the sight of God, his rock and his redeemer. It's the one who gives him the strength, the foundation to live every day, the power in his everyday life, and his redeemer. As I mentioned before, David may not have been fully aware what the Redeemer was yet. They had a picture. The Redeemer was pictured in their sacrifices. He knew what these things were, but we can look now and understand that God was the Son. His Son here was the Redeemer who came for us. When he died on the cross, he became the price for our sins. He bought us. And yet David can speak of this so wholeheartedly, my rock and my Redeemer, as he speaks of God. All the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, I want to be acceptable that's just like the terms we use in sacrifice, acceptable, just like the lamb without blemish or spot. 
like the bull that was the firstborn without blemish on it, acceptable in the sight of God. That's, that's difficult. That seems unattainable. But as he does this, he asks for grace and enablement by God as he lays his lips, as he lays his life on the altar before God. That's not unattainable. It's, it's not a distant idea. We saw here in, in Romans, you know, the word is near you. It is in you. It's, it's about changing what we meditate on. It's about changing our words. It's not necessarily something that God's just going to do for you. you know, just, he's not saying, God, just do this, and then walks away from it. No, we have some responsibility in our obedience to him. But it's only through God and through his work in our life that this goal even becomes possible. That's why he calls for God, for his Lord, his rock and his redeemer, that these things would be acceptable in his sight. When I started living by this word, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, I wanted to know his acceptance, not just because I didn't say what I thought anymore, not just because, but it was because I quit thinking those things. I quit meditating on those things. I started replacing the thoughts that had been there before with new thoughts. Instead of allowing those thoughts to give birth to sin, they instead were replaced so that it never made it to my mouth. What started here should end there and not get any farther. So we don't meditate on those things, and our mouth will not repeat them as we talk. I want you guys to be able to live a full spiritual life. That's what we all desire as we seek God, as we're looking to follow after him, reading his word, and meditating on what Jesus has done, meditating on what his word teaches us. You can't imagine on what his word teaches unless you read it, and unless you, you read it, unless you dig into it. It really takes work. It's not something we can just, again, flippantly go by and hope that we can learn by osmosis. That's one of my favorite Garfield jokes. He's got his uh, book strapped to him. And he's sleeping. He's like, I learned by osmosis. That's not, that's not the way it works for us. We have to look at it. We have to open it up. We have to read these words. And we have to do it on a continual basis for our minds to be full, for our words to be acceptable. It's looking to God for what he has already told us and what he wants us to do. And when we change the way we think, it changes the way we speak. When we change what consumes our mind, it will naturally change the words that we say, it will change the words that we use. That's what God desires. This prayer is a prayer for what God desires for us. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Oh God, after looking at just this verse and thinking through what your word has to say, there's so much to work on. There's so much where my words fall short, whether they identify my heart in a way that it's not acceptable to you, whether they judge my thoughts in a way that's not acceptable to you. God, we just ask that you would be at work to cleanse us from these things, to move our thoughts away from what is unrighteousness and toward righteousness, to think on you as our redeemer, as our rock. God, thank you for having the psalmist, having David write these words, even as a man who is in sin, recognizing his need for you to come, to be his rock, to be his redeemer, to remove his words and thoughts to make them into a place that they're acceptable to you. 
Lord, we ask as a body that we can do that, that our year will be filled with words that are honoring to you, that are acceptable to you, that build up one another, that encourage one another. And as a result, our church will show progress in what we're doing, that we're following what we've been taught, that we are looking to your word continually. Help us to encourage one another in this. God, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would be here providing direction, bringing conviction, and allowing our words to be your words. In Jesus' name, amen.